Second uh, Kings chapter number six, verse number eight. The Bible says, "Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place.'" And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was able to be watchful, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants says, None, O my lord, king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And so he said, Go and see where he is, that I might send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And a servant uh, uh, said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? And he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened his eye, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. Today, in our series, Mental Health Goals, I want to minister you to you from the subject, don't look at it, look through it. Don't look at it, look through it. Sort of like those, those puzzles where there's a picture in the puzzle. And if you, if you look at it, you're, you're, you can't see it. But if you, if you kind of look through it, all of a sudden something else emerges. So I want to minister to you on this subject and how not looking at it but through it affects your mind. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to every heart we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Well, we have come a long way in our series Mental Health Goals as we've been studying how to win the war for our minds because we know as our mind goes, so does our life. And of late, we've been talking about the power of reframing our past and pre-framing our future. And these are two of the mighty weapons that God has given us to ensure that our minds are renewed and ready to live as the overcomers that Jesus has destined us to be. And the key to reframing our past and pre-framing our future is the lens through which we look. In life, how we mentally handle what we experience is more about the filter than it is about the facts. Listen to me. In life, how we mentally handle the things that we experience and the things that we are exposed to are more about the filter than it is about the facts. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, do you watch CNN or Fox? It's not about the facts. It's about the filter. Do you have a secular worldview or a biblical worldview? It's more about the filter than it is the facts. Does your morality come from culture or does it come from the Bible? It's more about the filter than it is the facts. In our text, we find two people, one Elisha and the other his servant, both encountering the same facts but arriving at different conclusions because they were looking through different filters. It's not so much about the facts 
that mentally affect us. It is about the filter. One was looking at the circumstances one way, and the other one was looking at the circumstances another way. One was looking at the problems. One was looking through the problems. Don't look at it. Look through it. Don't look at it. Look through it. Elijah's servant looking right at it. Elijah looking through it. You see, in life... Uh, is about learning how to look beyond the circumstances that we face with the eyes of faith. In life, we all look at circumstances through certain lenses, and most of the time, the lens we look through is defective. Matter of fact, I'll never forget years ago, we had this, this beautiful older couple, some of you will know them, uh, the Browns, Ed and Syria Brown. And they came to church here for a long time. Syria has since gone on to, to be with the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful couple. And Syria had this great sense of humor. She was, she was always a blast to be around. And one particular day she came to church after having had cataract surgery. And she always had problems with her eyes. And she would make a big joke about it all the time, you know, and it was good. Cause if you, if you have issues, you know, it's good to make jokes about it, make light about it. And she, so she'd always make jokes. And she came, she had cataract surgery. And so I went up to her after the service. I said, Syria, how are you doing now? And she looked at me and she said, I'm doing great, Pastor Frank. She said, ever since I got the cataract surgery, suddenly I realized how handsome my pastor is. And then she looked at her husband and said, and how ugly he is. <laughs> and of course, of course she was joking, right? But that was, that was Syria. The problem was before she had the cataract surgery, she was looking through a defective lens. And this is what happens in our lives when it comes to circumstances. We all look through life through sometimes defective lenses. And the lenses are colored by all sorts of things. Some that we just mentioned, the news that we watch, the worldview that we hold, um, the, the education that we've had, the upbringing that we've had, the experiences that we hold, or our theology, our political persuasions, the things that have happened through uh, to us in life. And all these influence the lens by which we look through things. They become the filter through which we conform the facts to. Most of us rarely, rarely deal with the facts. Most of us always look at the facts as they are filtered through all of these things. But here is the good news. The good news is that we have the ability to choose our filter. And, and matter of fact, psychologists tell us that the things that we are exposed to, all the things that I just mentioned, that form our filter, form something that is also known as our cognitive bias. And our cognitive bias is how we are predisposed to interpret a thing even before the thing happens. Everybody has a cognitive bias. And, and the trick or, or, or the transformation that is supposed to take place as a Christian is that we are supposed to begin to look at things through the lens of faith, which, which looks at things through a biblical perspective and not all of the other perspectives and filters that we have developed along the way. And so here's a couple of truths to help you to look through the lens of faith. Number one, we get to choose and dare I say change the lens through which we look. When we come through the text, we find Elijah and his servant surrounded by the Syrian army. That's a sermon all by itself, because when you are God's anointed and appointed, which Elisha was, 
right? You have to get used to living is surrounded in circumstances that are uncomfortable. And, and matter of fact, just as a life principle, successful people get comfortable living in, s- s- surrounded by circumstances which are not always easy. And the circumstances which are not always easy do not rock their world. They're not up one minute and down the next. They're, they're, their day isn't ruined by what happens in society. I don't know if you've looked lately, but society doesn't hold my life in its hands. Society doesn't hold your life in its hands. God, our Heavenly Father, holds our life in His hands. And so I really don't give a rip what happens up in society as it pertains to me because I know who holds my life and my future and I know who has anointed me and appointed me not to be affected by my culture, but to be somebody who affects the culture. That was good preaching right there, even on a night where there's just a few people in the house. And so he is surrounded, right, on many sides, but he's, he's comfortable in his, in his surroundings. And, and, and because he is surrounded by adverse circumstances, it is even more imperative that he is looking through the right lens. In these times in which we live, Following Jesus is, is not as easy as it was. It is imperative that you are looking through the right lens. So the Syrian king has decided to surround Elisha because Elisha is responsible for his inability to defeat Israel. Every time he tries to pull off a military strike against Israel, Elisha, through his prophetic anointing, discerns it in advance and informs Israel's king of what's about to happen, and he thwarts the enemy's plan. By the way, can I just remind you, God is always one step ahead of the enemy. And if we will pray, God will show us things to come, right? Part of the reason why we don't see stuff before it happens that we need to see is because we are not spending enough time in the presence of God in prayer where God through the Holy Spirit shows us things to come. And this has happened to all of us in different ways and in different places. Anyway, he shows us as we pray. And so he's showing Elijah what is going to happen as it concerns his children. And Elijah tips off the king of Israel, and he's able to be one step of the enemy. And so it happens with such preciseness that the king of Syria thinks that he's got somebody on the inside who's snitching on him, somebody who's who's a traitor, who's disloyal, who is sharing inside information. And so he, he asks them to tell him what's going on. And one of them said, it's no, not a, none of us. It's, it's the prophet Elisha. He's the one that's telling him. And so he decides to take Elisha out. And in the middle of the night while Elisha is sleeping, the Syrian king gathers his vast army and surrounds the tent of Elisha in his own hometown of Dothan. And while Elijah is sleeping, his servant, who, by the way, is a prophet in training, By the way, any time that your faith is being challenged, you have to make sure you hang around people whose faith is proven to be steadfast. Don't watch who you link yourself to in turbulent times because faith just like doubt flows. Doubt will get on you. Sin will get on you. Mindsets will get on you. If you're hanging around the wrong stuff, but faith also flows. And if you'll get around people whose faith is strong and faith is steadfast and they are not moved, they're not like shifting sand, they're not up one minute down there, that 
spirit of faith will flow on you. And so he is a prophet in training, and, and, and thank God he's got Elisha with him. And so he gets up before Elijah does, and he, I can kind of picture him in his, in his, his boxer briefs, holding his cup of joe, getting up, going on the, the deck of the tent. Is there even a deck to a tent? And he looks around, and he sees the armies of the Syrian king all around. He's surrounded on every side, and he panics, right? Surrounded by everything. His, his amygdala, as we learned from last week, starts yelling, shark! Shark! Right? We're gonna die! By the way, what, what do you see when you're surrounded? When you're surrounded by bills, what do you see? When you're surrounded by, by, uh, a negative health report, what do you see? A failing marriage, what do you see? Job instability, what do you see? Depression, what do you see? Relationship woes, what do you see when you're surrounded? What do you see? What are you looking at? He sees the worst. He sees death. He sees no way out. He sees an impossible set of circumstances. And this is why it was so important for him to be connected to Elisha. He rushes in and he wakes him up. What I love about the examples of faith in the Bible is they are resting examples in the middle of really riotous times. Uh, by, by the way, that's what faith looks like, just so you know. Because some people need to recognize faith. What was Jesus doing when the disciples hit a storm? He was resting. What was Elisha doing when he was surrounded on every side? He was resting. He wasn't acting a fool, right? He wasn't, he wasn't responding in angst. He was, because faith is a rest. There is a rest the scripture says, for the people of God. It is that place of faith. And so he goes in and he wakes him up and he expects Elisha to panic just like he is because Elijah's going to be confronted with the same facts. But it's not about the facts. It's about the filter. And so Elijah looks up and Elijah sees what he sees, but he sees beyond what he sees. Flashback, prayer reminds us of the presence of God. Prayer produces a peace that passes all understanding that guards our heart and our mind. And so Elijah, confronted with the same facts, prays. Here's what he prays. Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened his eyes. The eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. He prays that a servant can see better translation so that he could look through the same lens that Elijah is looking through, a lens that doesn't look at it, but a lens that allows you to look through it. Elijah has chosen to look through the facts with the lens of faith. Don't look at it. Look through it. You get to choose the lens that you view or interpret all of the facts of that you're exposed to in life with. Secondly, number two, the lens through which we look determines the reaction we have to the circumstances we encounter. The lens through which we look determines the reaction that we have to the circumstances that we encounter. Elijah's got peace. His servant has got panic. Same facts, 
Different filter. The filter we look through determines the reaction we have to the circumstances we encounter. All the Bible greats understood to look through the lens of faith. And their reaction was drastically different than the reaction of everybody else who is exposed to the same facts. Joseph is exposed to his brothers. Facts were they were responsible for his slavery. Facts were they were responsible for him being cut off from his family. Facts were they were responsible for him being in prison. But he's not looking through the same lens as them. And so when they stand before him, he says, do not fear for God, for what you meant for evil, God has meant for good. What? Different lens. Different lens. David's reaction to the same facts of Goliath that caused everybody else to be frightened and paralyzed were, I'll go out and fight him because the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he'll deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. What was the different? Different filter. Different lens that he's looking through. And the goat of all time. By the way, those of you who don't know what goat means yet, greatest of all time. The goat of all time. Uh, about how he filtered facts was the Apostle Paul. He's in prison having gone to Rome with a plan to preach Jesus to the leaders of the city so that that Rome could become a launch pad to spread the gospel all over the world. That's his plan. And when he finally gets to Rome with this plan, he's amped up, he's jacked up. He's like, I'm going to Rome, I'm preaching, I'm, I'm going to be taking names, I'm going to be converting all the government leaders. Rome is going to be the new launch pad for the gospel. And when he gets there, he winds up, instead of preaching, freely in prison. And he's locked up under house arrest, chained to a rotating, chained to a rotating contingent of guards and awaiting possible execution. What Paul prayed for and what happened to Paul were two very different things. And you've been where Paul has been. What you prayed for and what you experienced sometimes are two different things. You thought if you'd go to college, you'd get the great job, but it hasn't happened yet. You plan on being married by now, but it hasn't happened yet. Mr. and Mrs. Wright hasn't, isn't, hasn't turned out to be the one. Your child's not come home. Your marriage has not yet turned around. What you prayed for is different than the facts you're experiencing. Paul could have looked at it and said, this isn't fair. This isn't what God promised. This isn't what I prayed for. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. Prayer doesn't work. God isn't real. And I'm not going back to church ever again. He could have done that. Don't look at me in that tone of voice because that's what Christians do right now. Christians are notorious for taking their ball and going home. This is the new breed of weak, unbiblical, out drifting with culture Christians. That's why we need Bible study. That's why we need to get into the Word of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. We need a new foundation to be set because somehow, some way, we have lost the foundation that we should have had and held onto all along. So Paul could have said that, but instead in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12, and by the way, the first book of the Bible that we're going to be teaching on in Bible study on Wednesday nights is the book of Philippians, the book of joy. Interesting how you can have joy in the middle of prison. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 12. And I want you to know, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. What did Paul do? He decided to look through it 
and not at it by looking at it through the lens of faith. He said, I had a plan. God had a better plan. He said, God has blessed me with prison guards who are chained to me. They got to listen to the gospel. They got no choice. They're chained to me. And for eight hours, I get to preach to every prison guard that comes up in here. And here's the good news. Every eight hours, I get a new guard to preach to. And they got to listen. God, I had a plan, but God had a better plan. And not only did I got to listen, but I got the ear of the people who got the ear of the government leaders. And so after I get through preaching them one-on-one, because how many of you know one-on-one preaching is sometimes better than preaching to the masses? Open your mouth for Jesus. Don't be so worried about what you're going to say on Facebook. Nobody cares about what you're going to say there anyway. You just act like a fool like everybody else. And all the fools are coming out right now. Open your mouth to that person who you know needs Jesus. One-on-one. And then watch how many lives that person will touch. Paul said, I got the ear of the people that got the ear of the government officials. Don't look at it. Look through it. Don't look at it. Look through it. He said, I'm a prisoner, and that's what you want me to look at. But I'm looking at the platform that God has given me to preach. Don't look at it. Look through it. Elijah prayed. Open his eyes that he may see. Help him to look through my lens. The third thing I want to share with you, the best lens through which we can look is the lens of faith. The lens of faith gives us the ability to look through it and not at it. Scripture teaches us that faith is a different way to see. If you are always seeing the same things as the facts say, you're not looking with the eyes of faith. Because faith gives us the ability to see differently. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 4, we walk by faith and not by sight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith gives us a different way to see. We can look beyond it when we look with the eyes of faith. We cannot look at it, but we can look through it. Faith allows me to see beyond the facts to the truth of what God is doing, which has the power to change my circumstances because it keeps my mind stayed on Him. Faith allows us to look through it, not at it, to see what cannot be viewed with the physical eye. The faith lens lets us see spirit It gives us a peek from God's perspective. It enables us to see God's power when we feel weak, God's wisdom when we feel confused, God's sovereignty when we are surrounded, God's plan when we are perplexed. Look with the eyes of faith. Look through it, not at it, and your mind will be settled. Here's what the looking with the lens of faith gives you the ability to see. Number one, that God is with us. Verse number 17, and Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. This was a peak at the God of angel armies. This was a peak at what was behind what was before them. That even when it looked like God was absent, he was still there. Just cause it's not working out the way you thought, just cause the script didn't follow the story you wrote in your head, doesn't mean that you are not on God's heart. Just when it looked like the enemy and the circumstances had them surrounded, they looked with the lens of faith and they saw that God had what was surrounding them surrounded. Don't look at it, look through it. It's time to 
ask God to give you second level sight. The devil needs to be reminded that the children of God have x-ray vision. Devil, you forgot that with faith I can see not only what's in front of me, but what's behind it. That God is with me. That the name of my Savior is Emmanuel, which means God with us. you got to begin to look with eyes of faith. God is with you. But the second thing that you see when you look with eyes of faith is that God is for us. Before Eliza prayed, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse number 16, he says, do not fear. This precedes his prayer. He says, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What does the scripture say in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, verse 31? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And by the way, I just heard the Holy Spirit say this. When we say God is for us, there's a lot of levels of meaning there. First of all, we know that God wants the best for us. We know that's what it means. We know that God is always plotting and planning his absolute best in our lives. But really, when we say that God is for us, it really means that we're on God's side, not that he's on our side. God's not for anybody that is opposed to his principles. God doesn't stand with people who take stands that are opposite the word of God. I don't care how good they are, how nice they are, how much potential they are, how intelligent they are. The stand, God says, here's my side right here. You want to get with it? Get with it. You want to, you want to be on the winning team? Come on over. Everybody's invited. Nobody's exempt from this side. Everybody can come over to this side. And so really that's what it means when it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Are we on God's side? Elijah wasn't moved because he understood the math. When your mind is under attack, you've got to do the math. Not the math that will drive you mad. That was the math that the servant was doing. He looked out and he said there's a lot of them to two of us. That equals death. That kind of math keeps you a servant to your problems. But Elijah said, take a look through this lens. It was as if Elijah was handing him binoculars and saying, don't look at it, look through it. Take a look at this. A lot of them plus us and God equals we win. It doesn't matter if you are on God's side. If time is against you, it doesn't matter if the crowd is against you. It doesn't matter if the enemy is against you. It doesn't matter if culture is against you. It doesn't matter if circumstances are against you. It doesn't matter if you are outmanned, outgunned, and outnumbered. If you are on God's side, you win. Period. End of story. Now let me just explain what that means. Maybe you might take a loss here on this earth. But see, that's not really... See, I'm into, I'm into long-term wins. I don't know about you. Anybody else into long-term wins? I don't like to just get short wins. Some of the church, we, we, we love a short win. We'd rather win a battle than win the war. So we get stupid. We want to prove a point on Facebook. Why am I saying this? Because everybody's tempted right now to just go off, right? Everybody got to win the battle right now. Got to win the battle right now. Got to win the battle right now. You know what the war is? The war is for the souls of people. That's what I care about. I don't know about you. I care about the souls of people. So I am not interested in getting into intellectual debates with people about stuff who cannot be moved off of those things. But what I am interested in is giving people hope and knowing and letting people know no matter what their circumstances are and no matter what they're going through, 
that there is a God who can give them hope and rescue and save their lives and snatch them out of the grip of whatever the enemy has for them. We've got to be interested in not just winning battles, but winning wars. Amen. Some of you clap through a filter too, by the way. I say, what do you mean, Pastor? Some of you are trying to read between the lines like, uh-uh. That doesn't meet my filter right there. Unless you, that meets my filter, that meets my filter. And so we're not looking for the applause of man, though, amen? Instead of worrying, when you do the master's math, God plus me equals a win. What you do is you don't get overruled by your circumstances. Instead of you, you wait until you win. You wait until you win, because guess what? That's what happens when you wait. I said, that's what happens when you wait. What happens when you wait? You win. What does the scripture say? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and faint not. Because that's what happens when you wait. That's what happens when you wait. You feel your strength coming on. You feel your strength coming on. You feel your wings coming on. You feel your run coming on. That's what happens when you wait. You can worry. Or you can wait until you win. And there's a big difference. The third thing that happens when you look through the lens of faith is you realize that God is always good to us. When you, when you, when you look through the lens of faith, despite what you see around you, not only do you see that God is for us, that God is with us, but you see that God is always good to us. This is the filter that the lens of faith helps you to see. This is what the filter called the lens of faith helps you to see, that God is always good to us. Not that God is just good, and he is. Not that he's only good and that no part of him is not good, because that's true. But the lens of faith helps you to see that God is always good to us. And he's never not good to us. Matter of fact, Psalm 23, verse number 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That means, surely means, it's going to happen despite what it looks like. It means that even though I'm surrounded, it means that even though everything hasn't worked out the way I thought, it means that even though the enemy snuck up on me when I wasn't expecting it, it means that even when things took a turn that caught me off guard, surely, 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 goodness is pursuing me. His goodness is in battle position around the enemy. When you're able to look through the filter of faith and look not at it but through it, you see what Elijah saw, that the goodness of God is surrounding everything that is surrounding you. Now, when you look through the lens of faith and you make the goodness of God your cognitive bias, it helps you put your past, present, and future into perspective. When, when you look through the lens of faith and you make the goodness of God your cognitive bias, because you can choose that, right? How do you choose that? You have to do all the things we've been talking about. But you can choose to make it. And here's, how, here's my verse that I filter everything that happens to me through. Everything that has happened to me is happening and will happen. Here's my verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things, this is my verse, could be your verse if you want it to be your verse too. And we know that all things work together for the good. 
for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That is my verse through which I filter everything that has happened, is happening, or is going to be happening in my life. That is the framework of my cognitive bias. And so therefore, I don't usually respond. Now I'm a human being, and so sometimes I fall short, but I don't usually respond to circumstances the same way other people do, because I have a different cognitive bias than they, they do. And so, regarding my past, I look back for God's collateral goodness. So you thought I was going to say collateral damage. When most people look back on their past, they're looking for collateral damage. Oh, this bad thing happened right here. and This bad thing happened right here. and This wasn't good to me. and That wasn't good to me. And I was unfortunate here. And I was unfortunate. I look back for his collateral goodness. So even in the hard times, even in the difficult times, I look back on what God has done and I thank him for what he didn't do. I thank him for the books that he brought forth from pain. I thank him for the songs that came out of sorrow. I thank him for the prayers he never answered because I now see that what he had in store was better. I look back on my first broken heart and I thank him because had my heart not been broken, I wouldn't be married to my wife right now and I wouldn't have my son and my daughter. Thank God God knows better than me when I think I know better than him. I thank God when he brought out of betrayal and bankruptcy a book that that touched the world. I thank God that when it seemed unfair and unjust and unexplainable, not because he caused it, but because he used it, that I was able to see his goodness even in those situations. If your cognitive bias is the goodness of God, you look back for collateral goodness, not collateral damage. Regarding my present, because my cognitive bias is all things work together for my good. I look around to find his current goodness. Even in the midst of what's happening in the moment, there is something on the inside of all of us, I know it's on the inside of me, that focuses on not what is wrong, but what is right. Not what is, what is unfortunate, but what is favorable in my life. Elijah's servants saw enemy armies. Elijah saw heavenly angels. One saw Enemy armies, the other saw heavenly angels. Look around and focus on what is good now in your life. And I promise you that it will positively affect your mind. One time when my mind was under siege about money, I had too much month at the end of the money. Anybody ever have that? It'll cause your mind to go crazy. Just keep looking at them bills. They're not going to change by staring at them. Some people, they just get in front of them. (sighs) Figure out the checkbook again. Negative still. Figured out the negative still. That didn't do you any good. One time I was in that place, my mind was going crazy. I called this house supposed to be God. God, I left everything. I left all my big career and all my fancy stuff to serve you. And you said if I did all that, you'd give me a hundredfold in this life and eternal life and the life. That ain't the way it's supposed to be, God. Holy Spirit took me on a tour. Some of you heard this around the house. 
He just started showing me things. He said, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. He started showing me all the blessings in the house, from the forks and the spoons to the food in the cupboard, to the to the half-eaten bottle of peanut butter that was in there, to the milk that was down to about this much. He started looking at every little thing. And all I just started doing is say, thank you, Jesus, for this, and thank you, Jesus, for this. And, and, And because I started focusing on his goodness and what was right in my life instead of what was wrong in my life at the time, there was something that washed away all of that stuff that was going on in our head. You need to look through the filter of faith and make God's goodness your cognitive bias in your life. If you do that, everything that is good in your life will be your focus and your mind will stay right. But then lastly, when the goodness of God is your cognitive bias regarding your future, you look forward to continued good things. You've heard me tell one of my favorite stories I've ever told is the story of the African king who always would go hunting with his good friend. No matter what would happen, his good friend would say, this is good, this is good, this is good, right? And so one day they're going hunting and the friend loads the gun for the king and he loaded it the wrong way and the king shot it and blew off his thumb. And, and, and the friend looked at him and said, this is good. And the king said, how could this be good? I lost my thumb. And he got so mad with the guy, he threw him in jail. And he threw him in jail and as he's throwing him in jail, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. God looked at him crazy. Well, the guy continued to hunt, and one day he was hunting, and he got, he got caught by uh, cannibals. And they caught him, but when they, they recognized that his thumb was blown off, they didn't want to eat him, so they let him go. And he remembered what his friend told him when his thumb got blown off. He said, this is good, this is good. This. He felt so bad, and he went back to his friend, and he apologized to him. And he said, he said I, I'm so mad, I'm so sad, mad at myself that I put you in prison for, for this whole year. And you were locked up, and the guy looked at him, he said, this is good. And the guy said, how could it be good that you were in prison? He said, because if I wasn't in prison, I would have been with you. So you need to understand that when your cognitive bias is the goodness of God, that all things are working together for your good. That means the good things, the bad things, the things you don't understand, the things that you do understand, the things that the devil does, the things that God does, the things that are unfortunate, the things that are blessed. Don't get it twisted. God is not causing all of the untold and and all of the crazy stuff in your life. But thank God that nothing that happens to you, God doesn't use for your good. And if you make the goodness of God your cognitive bias because you are looking through the lens of faith, what happens is you'll be able to not look at it, but look through it. Look at it. Don't look at it. Look through it. Don't look at it. Look through it. What is God doing in your life? What are the good things God wants to bring to pass for you, if you get consumed with what is before you, you'll never win the battles that you're supposed to win, and you certainly won't win the war. What is the secret? Don't look at it. Look through it. Elijah prayed. He said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. We need to ask God for second-level faith. Second-level faith. Second-level sight, I should say. What a second-level sight. It's a sight that sees beyond it. You notice how some older people get wiser as they get older? Some older people. Some older people get stupider as they get older. I have seen people devolve, not evolve. Right? We, have, we see society devolving, not evolving, by the way. 
I'll show you that in the scripture in a few weeks. So it's not a fact that as people get older, they get smarter. But there are some people you get around and you see they, they get smarter. Like, how'd you know that? How'd you know that? You know, because they're able to have been through it. So now they, they realize that not everything that you see is automatically what it is. Not everything that is before you ultimately tells the whole story. They've learned how to not look at it, but through it. Would you stand to your feet? I love the way the story ends. Elijah prays that God would open his eyes, his servant's eyes that he would see, but he also prays that he would blind the eyes of his enemy. So the enemy comes in to attack Elijah. And Elijah's prayed, and so they don't recognize it's Elijah. Imagine, imagine that. They stand there right in front of Elijah, came here to get Elijah, and Elijah's talking, and they don't recognize him. And Elijah leads them all the way into the camp of Israel. And then he prays another prayer. He says, Lord, now open their eyes. And the Lord opens his eyes. Whoa! We, and they're surrounded. Be careful when you mess with God's kids. Just, just, just be careful when you mess with God's kids. Because God will cause what has happened to, to the people that try to do things to God's kids to happen to them. And so now they, they were surrounding God's kids, but, but now they're surrounded. And the king of Israel, he's like, let's get them, let's get them, let's get them. And Elijah says, nah. Christians, listen to me carefully. Never do this. Never do this when you know that something turns in favor of the Word of God. Never do this. Here's what Elijah said. He said, we're not going to get them back because that's not what Christians do. He said, throw them a feast. Feed them all. And they throw their enemy a feast. And the enemy never messes with Israel ever again. The enemy becomes the ally. This is the goodness of God personified. If we have received of the goodness of God. Some Christians need to understand that song that we sang before where we talked about the mercy of God. And that we should have been six feet under. But for the mercy of God, we're not. And all the things we did and all the things that we should have been, should have had come to pass in our life in a negative way, but it didn't happen. We forget that we become Christians and we become Christian Pharisees. No, no, no. If your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, do what? Give him the drink. He didn't say, I told you, I told you we was going to get you. I told you it was coming back on you. I told you we was going to have our day. I'm speaking prophetically now. Some of you are catching it, but some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Be the church. Don't be a chooch. Be the church. Don't be a chooch. Be the church. You know what a chooch is? Be the church. The goodness of God personified. When you, when you look through the lens of goodness, you experience the goodness of God, and then you get to pass on the goodness of God. Can you say amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that you are so good. You're always good to us, Lord. In all seasons, in every situation, when things look right, when they don't look right, when things are as we wish, when things are as we wish not, Father, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for Jesus. And you know 
how we like to do it. We never like to close our services, especially this one, because this is the one that calls out to the world and give people the opportunity to give their life to Jesus. If you're here today and you have never given your life to Jesus and you don't know if you're right with him, today he wants to show you his goodness. What's his goodness? He doesn't want to punish you for your sin. He wants to free you from your sin. When we sin, God doesn't pour out punishment and go, ha, ha, got yours. What God does is, that's why I put the punishment on Jesus. God wants to free us from our sin. If you're here today and you're not right with God, and you want to be made right with God, right where you are with no one looking around, just put your hand up and I want to pray with you. Pastor, today I want to be made right with God. Anyone like that here? I know there are people, not just here, but online, on television, God is speaking to you. You want to be made right with God. You want to experience the goodness of God in your life. The greatest goodness you can experience is forgiveness of your sin. So you can be made right with God and be assured of eternal life in a place called heaven for the benefit of those who God is touching right now. Maybe that's you on the other side of that camera. I want to pray with you. Let's all pray this prayer together. Would you say it with me, Heavenly Father? Right now I surrender my life to you. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me as I make Jesus Christ my personal Savior. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to welcome you to the family of God. We want to help you in your journey with the Lord. If you're watching on the other side of the camera, type the word Jesus in the chat, or if you see a little hand, poke it, and one of our prayer ministers will reach out to you. To the rest of you, God bless you. So good to be with you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you again next week.